Daryl Ray and Shane Larson. Welcome to Mormon Discussion Podcast. How are you guys today? Great. Thanks, Bill. Great. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, good, good. Let's give you guys both just a second to kind of introduce yourselves. We're going to have a conversation today about an organization called Recovering from Religion, and uh, wanted to give the two of you a chance to kind of talk about it. Uh, Daryl Ray uh, is the president of Recovering from Religion, and so we'd like to go to you and kind of talk about some of the history of the organization and, and kind of how you guys accomplish your mission and what that mission is. And then I want to turn some time over to Shane and kind of talk about what's going on here in Utah and, and what's got Shane so energized to kind of head that up and, uh, and to help us kind of be, uh, I think, a beacon to, to folks who are deconstructing, which is my main goal is to help people, especially in high demand fundamentalist religions, have access to tools and resources to kind of deconstruct that. And as you guys know, get support from people because doing that is such a hard thing. Yeah. Um, Daryl, start us off. Just tell us a little bit about yourself and, and then I'll turn some time over to Shane to talk about who he is. Sure. Well, um, I'm like you said, the founder of Recover from Religion, but I'm a psychologist by training and by profession for almost 40 years. And I published, uh, I've published a couple of books in the area of, of religion. And first book was The God Virus, and it was a bestseller. And as a result of that, I got tons of tons of interest from people uh, needing help. <laughs> Once they realized that they had been infected with a religious idea that had destroyed or hurt their life. So I started this little group not far from my house, uh, and I just announced it and 11 people showed up and I only knew one of them and all of them wanted to tell me how much religion had hurt them and what they're trying to do to get out of it. And that was in 2009. And that was the beginning of recovery from religion. Of course, I didn't know at the time I was starting it. Uh, and I'm also an e expert and uh, uh, interested in the sex, um, the relationship of sex to religion. So our, my second book was uh, sex and God. So oh, that's neat. kind of a quickie. Love it. Yeah, yeah, love it. Shay, would you mind uh, sharing a little bit about yourself, and then we'll jump into some questions for the two of you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm Shane Larson. I was uh, born here in Salt Lake City. I was raised in uh, northern Utah, north of Salt Lake, um, in a little town called Cache Valley, or, or valley called Cache Valley. Um, and most of my life, I was raised, uh, well, I was, I was raised uh, pretty orthodox Mormon, um, very loving family, uh, but also very um, adherent to all the, the little rules of uh, Mormonism that come with, with that, being in a small town and being Mormon. And then, you know, later in my life, I, I, I served a two-year mission. I got married in the temple with my wife, and I had um, one kid and, and another kid on the way when I, when I started uh, questioning my uh, religion and some of the history of the religion that I believed in. And uh, it was... And we can go into this on another in another conversation, but uh, I exited the Mormon religion after a few months of of deep study, kind of diving down that rabbit hole. And uh, while I was going through that transition, I I took a look at around me and realized, man, there's a lot of other people going through this same experience. And I was fortunate to have some support nearby me. Uh, and I've also always been a social person. I found some support, sought it, and was able to get it quickly before it was too much of a, of, um, a mental crisis for me. And so as I was going through that, I, I self-reflected and said, you know, when I am on solid ground and when I feel healthy, I want to look back and help others and, and look around me to find others who might be also in need and find a way to do it. And so that's kind of my short story and why I'm here and what I'm doing with RFI. Love it. Love it. As you guys both know, and the audience is certainly going to relate to is that this is such a heavy moment in most folks lives when they're all in on a religion. And then they one day wake up and go, what if, what if it's not true? What if this thing doesn't add up? And they start to look into um, 
the reasons for their belief or the kinds of things they believe, and they begin to go through that deconstruction process, it, the mental anxiety, the, the strain on relationships, um, I remember having such deep anxiety that my hands would shake uh, as I was walking out of church the last few months of going as I was trying to deconstruct and, and begin to kind of separate myself from it. Um, there were people in my family who distanced themselves from me. And you, that, feels, that feels so hard, and it, and it is, that I think any organization that's helping to relieve that um, is doing a good work. So uh, back to you, Daryl, to talk for a moment. You, you gave us kind of the origin story. You just decided one day to, to have a meeting and 11 people show up. You only know one of them. How does it take off from there? And kind of what, is, what are your guys' numbers today and, and maybe some of the geography that you guys cover? Well, at the end of that little meeting, uh, well, actually, it took three hours for that meeting to last, and the, and the, uh, the um, restaurant owner was kicking us out of his back room when, you know, we had booked it because they were closing the restaurant down. And at that moment, I knew I had a t- tiger by the tail and that people had a real need. They had a need to share their story and hear other people's stories and then try to figure out how, how they go about deconstructing. We did have one single Mormon in that meeting. We had another, we had a Mooney in that mo- meeting. Uh, the second meeting, we had Scientologists. I mean, it was, it was coming from everywhere. Uh, we didn't get our first ex-Muslim, though, until about uh, two months in. But as I, every time I had this meeting, we'd have different numbers of people in different religions. And it slowly but surely dawned on me, everybody, I don't care if you're an ex-Hindu, an ex-Mormon, an ex-Muslim, it doesn't matter. Deconstructing is hard because every religion tries to do what the, what the Jesuits said centuries ago, give me the boy till seven and I'll give you the man. And that's the way every religion works. If I can get the children and indoctrinate them when they're still very young, then it's hard for them to get out. They will stay the rest of their lives. And we know this now, just from some of the understanding of how the brain works, that if you can get a child uh, indoctrinated by five, six, seven years old, they can have nightmares the rest of their life about the, you know, the Baptist hell or, you know, or not being with their family uh, in the afterlife with Mormonism or, you know, whatever else, whatever it is of that religion teaches, it just gets driven deep down into their brains. And childhood indoctrination is really, not always, but really, generally speaking, what we're dealing with. Now, I know, uh, Bill, you, you, weren't, you weren't indoctrinated as a child in Mormonism, but you were indoctrinated as a child into a Christian culture. And, and when, you, uh, when you converted to, is, uh, to Mormonism, you didn't convert to Islam because it wasn't available. <laughs> it's, I don't have access to certain things. Yeah, right. Yeah. So whatever is available is what you can get infected with. It's just like... If, if there's no COVID in my community, then I'm probably not going to catch COVID. It's, if, there's no, if a specific religion is not in your community, you're not going to catch it. So, but all those religions that are in your community are, as I write in my first book, The God Virus, they're viruses trying to get into your head. And if you can get the virus into a kid's head, if you get the Mormon virus into a kid's head at five years old, they're going to have a hard time getting out of it. And it leads to all sorts of psychological complications that a lot of people don't have if they were never indoctrinated to begin with. So that's why I started Recover From Religion. I'm a psychologist. I hate to see people in pain. And I hate to see people basing their entire lives on bad ideas. I mean, golly, you don't want to wait till you're my age. I'm 70. You don't want to wait till you're my age to figure out it was all a fucking lie. And I can't, and I can't get out of it because my whole family, and I brought my family into it. I have, we literally have a 70 year old person in our community with that story. I'm not telling you a fantasy. <laughs> I've heard it too many times. So if we can help somebody 
determine what they, how they want to live their life early, early on. That's what we're trying to do. Yeah. Recover, recover religion has three goals, hope, healing, and support. We want to help people provide hope. We want to help people uh, heal from what they were indoctrinated with. And we want to provide them support in the journey. Yeah. And as you guys both know, the support is so huge. Having other people around you, not feeling alone, not feeling like you're the only one. When I was deconstructing Mormonism back in 2010, 2011, 2012, I felt very alone. And it wasn't until I started to recognize there were other uh, podcasts out there, other people on social media who were beginning to have conversations as the internet was just getting off the ground kind of, and starting to kind of take on a life of its own. Um, those were the kind of the places where I found people because it wasn't in my local congregation. It wasn't in uh, the folks around me who went to church with me. None of those folks were thinking about these things or asking those questions. Um, how big is recovering from religion today? How many people are there and, and where are you guys kind of geographically? Are you all over the place? I think last count we've got volunteers in 14 or 15 countries. We have, we've uh, one month. I don't remember what the last month or two is, but I think it was October. We had, Callers and chatters call in from 28 different countries. We've got about 200 active volunteers, like, like Shane. Shane's a volunteer for Recovering from Religion. We've got about 200 active volunteers, and that, that fluctuates from time to time and time of the year and all. But those, those 200 active volunteers are either answering phone calls or answering chats or having local group meetings or they're helping us uh, keep our library. We have an online library of all sorts of thousands of resources we, we and we try to keep it very well organized so that it's easy to find exactly what you need we have a whole library just on being an ex-mormon ex <laughs> we've got libraries on being an ex-muslim and, and nobody else on the planet has taken all these resources and we got three people pretty much working hours many hours a week finding resources and putting them in their proper categories and all and nobody else has done this so this is like a new effort it's like the first the first digital library uh, for recovery of any religion, not not just Mormonism, but any any religion on the planet. Yeah, cool. So it's it's pretty good size. I mean, we started in two thousand nine with just me, and it's been a steady growth. We have we have doubled in size for the last two years. Uh, we really hit our stride about twenty eighteen. We could just see the growth curve start really going up, and literally we've had one hundred percent growth for two years straight. And we need more. We need volunteers because one hundred percent growth means there's double the number of clients coming to us, calling us, chatting with us, needing our resources. And we need more volunteers to be able to handle that. Everything we do is free. We don't charge a dime for anything. We give, we, well, our calls are free, our chats are free, our resources are free, our local meetings are free. So we, we depend on donors. A lot of our volunteers are also donors, but we depend on donors to keep us running. And you just happened to call me at the right time today, Bill, because this is our fundraising week right now. <laughs> nice. So nice. if you got listeners that want to help us out, send us a few bucks. Yeah, we'll certainly plug that as we kind of get to the end and give you guys a chance to talk about how folks can both uh, help you guys out with their own time and energy and resources, but also obviously the financial means is how we make the world turn around and, you know, it's how we make things happen and uh, give people a chance to donate as well. Um, I, like I could offer a please. little bit of perspective on, on size of the organization just from my perspective. I've, you know, been involved for a few weeks now and attending as part of my training process, I've been attending several other meetings that have been going on all over the country and, and even world. There's one group in Sydney, Australia, that's pretty strong. And I'm planning on attending that meeting this week. Uh, and in the last two weeks, I've attended about five or six different meetings and they've, they've ranged in size from other participants, again, from all over the world. 
uh, and from all backgrounds. We, I, I've, I've talked with um, ex, uh, basically everything but ex, uh, ex Hindu, ex Muslim so far. Uh, no ex Hindu or no ex Muslim. Um, but every other religion, there's been somebody present, and the the size of the groups have been anywhere from three to thirty. Uh, and what's nice is that no matter what, they provide a great platform to learn and to share your story. And the size just doesn't really seem to matter in terms of total numbers in those calls because it's always effective for those who are on there and helpful. Oh, I love it. Yeah, yeah. So obviously the, the mission of the organization is to help folks as they're stepping away from their religion and trying to reclaim some sort of identity uh, and, and make their way out of that safely and in a healthy way and, and be able to feel accepted as they kind of um, start a new life, essentially. Because I think a lot of times when you leave religion, that's exactly what you have to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I want to give you guys a moment, you know, Daryl, if you want to speak to, you know, the actual mission statement of the organization um, beyond that, like what you'd want to say about what you guys do, and then tell us about some of the resources and tools that you guys use to kind of help people uh, in that journey. Well, first of all, I think we want to be real clear that we are not uh, deconversion we're not interested in that. That's we're not a we're not trying to reconvert you, deconvert you, or anything. We're here to to meet you where you are in your journey. So if somebody's happy in their religion, we're not the place for them. That that's just pure and simple. But we we look at it we look at it as a spectrum. There's most people on what we call the spectrum of disbelief. Most people do not believe in Zeus. Most Christians don't believe in Allah. So they are in, they're already in the disbelief spectrum, but on a scale of one to 10, with 10 being total belief, they're, you know, they're a nine because they don't believe in Zeus. <laughs> so, so if we can look at that as a spectrum, lots of, we get lots of calls. We get chats from people that are still very religious and they do not want to leave religion per se, but they don't like the religion they're in now. We will help them find another religion. We've actually got resources to help them take a little survey and that helps them decide, well, according to the values you've told us in this survey, here's the religion that might fit you. So it's, we're neutral on, on all this. However, as Shane will tell you, our training is comprehensive. We expect our, we don't let anybody touch our clients until they've gone through extensive training and some supervision on that training. And Shane, you, you know, every time we're there, there's always two leaders, almost always there'll be two leaders, including somebody who's training because we want people to feel safe and they can tell their story. Nobody's going to criticize them or call them stupid or any of that sort of stuff. It's their story. It's their life. They have to make the decisions. But what I learned from the very first meeting was it is cathartic. It's therapeutic to listen to an ex-Muni, an ex-Jehovah's Witness, an ex-Mormon, an ex-Hindu, all in the same room. And they basically are saying the same thing. It is, it is irrelevant what religion it is because every religion uses the same techniques for indoctrination. Now, they may have different flavors of those techniques, and they put more salt than pepper, kind of, so to speak. But every religion uses the, exactly the same uh, indoctrination techniques. And once you realize that, then you can, I think that alone helps you deconstruct because you can start realizing, wow, the Mormons are going through the same thing I am, and I was a Jehovah's Witness or vice versa. 
Uh, I'm not sure. Is that what you're asking? Yeah, yeah. Certainly that's along the lines. I'm just curious too, you know, what are the kinds of ways in which you reach out to people? You've said you've got a a chat, so you can go on to Recovering from Religion's website. Mm -hmm. You can enter a chat with one of your volunteers and somebody can essentially have a conversation about what they're going through and and Mm -hmm. be led to some tools and resources. But besides the chat, and you said you also have a ton of resources on your site, lots of articles or... um, different things books, that people can click books, on books, videos, yeah. YouTubes, everything. Yeah. yeah. What other kinds of things do you guys do? Well, let's define what our chat line is. First of all, you go to recoverfromreligion.org and you'll see a chat button. You can hit that chat button and you'll get a live human being on the other side that's trained to help you just ask questions. They won't give you advice. They'll help you think through your own, your own journey. If they want to talk to a human being on the phone, they can hit the phone, but they can call the phone line. We've got direct phone lines from the United Kingdom, from Canada, from South Africa, from Australia, all of North America, and we'll be adding more as we go in. But you can talk to a, a person who's well-trained to on the phone about, about your issues. Now, in both of those cases, whether you chat or whether you call in, during the phone call, we'll be sending you, we'll be sending you information, we'll be sending you links. And at the end of the call, if you qualify, and not everybody qualifies. For example, we, we, don't, uh, we have some restrictions around age. For obvious reasons, but if you qualify, uh, you can be invited to join our community, and it's a it's it's a pro- very protected community that's monitored by RFR uh, volunteers. For example, you if you get invited in, you'll see a long list. I think twenty nine different subgroups, one of which is ex Mormons. So you can get invited in, and you can then talk to hundreds of other ex Mormons. But you can also join maybe a, a subgroup on sexuality or a subgroup on uh, um, on street epistemology, or, you know, there's a lot of different subgroups that you could belong to, and you'll hear from other people going through the same thing you are, but from maybe a slightly different angle. The services we provide, that's, that's, that's the, one of the main services. The other service we provide is, that, is what Shane alluded to, and that is our, our meetings. We have meetup meetings all over the world. I think we've got 55 groups right now, and we're, we're, we're increasing that almost daily. Uh, we really put a lot of effort into the group side. However, COVID came and we can't meet face to face. So we had to, uh, oh, dang it, sorry about that. <laughs> uh, we had to uh, pivot and make all of our meetings online. At first, we were wondering how that would work. And then we realized, well, you can have a meeting in San Diego and have people from Australia come. You can have people from New Jersey come. You can have a meeting in, in Germany and people from Canada will, will show up. So what we did was we start opening and opening and opening. Before you know it, all these meetings that are local to New Jersey are having people attend from all over the world. It's been quite an interesting experience for us. So that's another service. And then the third main service is our, uh, is our resource library, which is available to anybody free. You don't even have to chat in. You just go to our website. There's a fourth service that's really important, but it's, uh, it's an allied service, and that's called the Secular Therapy Project. Are, are you familiar with that, Bill? I'm not, no. Oh, Okay. Well, uh, about 2011, I started getting lots of complaints from people saying, I need therapy. Uh, Of course, I'm a psychologist and they were coming to me for help. I can't help everybody on the planet. So I started looking into it. I I went to therapy. I was there for three weeks. And in the third session, the the damn therapist tried to pray with me. Or I, I went to therapy and this guy had rosaries and crosses all over his office makes me really uncomfortable. I'm secular. I, I'm trying to get away from that religious stuff. So how do I get away from it? And I started investigating and you'd think I would have known this, but I didn't. It, there, it is really hard to find a secular psychologist. So many 
so many mental health professionals call themselves Christian counselors or in some way spiritual, but, you know, spiritual counselors or whatever. And that just is unethical as hell. It absolutely is. And yet nobody is calling these people on it. And I had hundreds of people ask, telling me terrible stories about really bad mental health coming from somebody who had a master's or even a PhD in mental health care. So I decided to start seculartherapy.org and we vet and register therapists who can prove to us they're secular and prove to us that they're licensed and prove to us that they use evidence-based methods only. No woo-woo stuff, no religious stuff, no praying stuff. Using science-validated methodologies for helping people get over depression or bipolar or schizoaffective or, you know, there's a lot of mental health conditions that we understand because we understand the brain now. We didn't understand it 20 years ago like we do now. And, and psychologists and counselors can actually help you deal with trauma. A spiritual counselor can't help you deal with trauma, and a Christian counselor certainly can't, especially if Christianity was the source of your trauma. So if you go to secretherapy.org, we have about 480 registered therapists from seven different countries, and you can book, you can communicate with them through our system, and it's an anonymous system. Uh, we, we help this therapist stay anonymous because, at least in some countries, like Oklahoma or Texas. <laughs> uh, sometimes I consider those foreign countries. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, what if you came out as a, as a secular therapist in Waco, Texas? You would lose your entire practice. Judges wouldn't refer to you. Uh, churches certainly wouldn't refer to you. So, and, and everybody would say, well, you can't go to them because you're, they're secular. Well, hell, a good, good therapy is secular by nature. There's no such thing as scientifically validated Christian therapy. It just, it just doesn't happen. Yeah. So, so our therapists will give you good science-based therapy. And yeah. these days with COVID, they'll even do it over the phone, like we're doing right now, uh, over Zoom or whatever. Dr. Ray and Bill, I can, I can uh, kind of share an ex personal experience that, that kind of uh, goes along with this. When I, when I first walked away from my religion, I looked for this very thing. And what Dr. Ray is telling you is pretty true. People... Uh, they're either silent on the subject it, when they list off their their skills and what they specialize in, or they're vocal about being on the faithful side. All right, so it's really hard to actually try and pinpoint someone who, if I want to go out and find someone who is an agnostic atheist, um, truly secular, because that's just what I want in my in my therapist. Because maybe I can open up more, maybe I trust more. If I if I really truly want that, I should be able to find it, but. I did searches before I found Secular Therapy Project, and it was near essentially impossible to find someone who would vocalize that they were secular if they were. They may have been there. I may have been looking right at them, but it's not the kind of thing that right now our culture um, supports publicizing about your, your skills or your approach. Right. Yeah. And I'll, and I'll tell you both. I mean, Shane, you know this as well as I do. In this Utah culture, uh, first off, if you are in Mormonism and you're beginning to have questions and you're beginning to kind of see some unhealthiness, if you go if you go anywhere and ask for help, you're going to be pointed back to an LDS therapist. You're you know if the if the local congregation or the local leadership is helping you in any way, they're going to try to point you that direction. And I have heard so many horror stories of folks who have been pointed to a therapist, and that therapist is mixing their professional uh, career with religious mechanisms and essentially trying to walk somebody back into the religion by adding on additional shame and trauma uh, and manipulation. And so I've heard so many of those stories that I'm a huge fan of people having access 
to list of therapists who they can count on not being connected to the religion that they're trying to figure out or um, wrestle with, right? And trying to understand that trauma. So good to you guys for doing that. And in some fairness, just, uh, you know, before we move on from it, a lot of, I believe that a lot of what's committed in those moments um, is just the systemic problem. You know, a lot of therapists are really sincerely trying to do what they think is the right and best thing. Uh, but they may not recognize or know the kind of damage that, that can be done simply because they're following a, a system that, that has worked for so many others. But now they're dealing with someone who has been traumatized by the belief system itself, and that can cause real problems. And there's this yeah. myth among all sorts of religious, even of religious therapists, that religion doesn't cause trauma. Or they, they just can't believe uh, maybe a cult causes trauma, but uh, you know, a regular religion like Mormonism can't cause trauma. And whatever religion you're in, that's certainly not an unhealthy religion, right? It's all the other religions that are unhealthy. No, <laughs> <Exactly>. one, <laughs> no one sees it inside their own paradigm until one day they do. Right, exactly. So what happens is we get kids coming to us, kids and young adults saying, I'm gay and my parents are Mormon and they, they're threatening to kick me out. Well, that'd be pretty traumatizing if you're a 16-year-old kid and you're about to lose your entire family and, and means of support and emotional support. We hear that a lot. And there's a lot of homeless gay kids in Salt Lake city in Utah. In fact, Mormonism of course has been famous for the way it treated young boys for, for a century, of course. Yeah. Yeah. It, there's yeah a lot of stuff there in terms of that. Yeah. Yeah. Nope. I, I love, I love the work that you guys are doing and, and I've just, you know, when Shane reached out to me, it's the first time I had heard of your guys's organization. And so I'm, I'm glad to have a chance to kind of talk about this and give people kind of another resource that can be deeply helpful. Uh, Shane, I want to talk to you for just a moment. Tell us, you know, um, tell us kind of the, the area that your group covers. And obviously COVID is affecting all of us kind of getting together and doing things and meeting. And so groups like Meetup um, have to now be virtual, at least for the short term until, until these vaccines start taking effect. Um, but your thoughts on kind of the area that you kind of have in mind that you're covering. And, you know, here I am down in St. George. I'm down in Southern Utah. Um, do I have access to, to you and your group as a resource and, and kind of where, where do you guys go from here? Yeah. So I, I think the first thing I would refer you to is if you go on to meetup.com for any listeners who aren't familiar with meetup, meetup is basically what it, it's its namesake. It's uh, an online social media tool for you to find uh, like-minded folks who are organizing to get together, whether it's virtual or in-person, uh, a lot more virtual these days with COVID and a lot of hopes to get back to the in-person for most of these groups. Um, but, you know, Meetup itself uh, is a platform that Recovering From Religion uses in order to organize these um, regional uh, meetups, regional support groups. And that's really the main goal of what I'm doing as a volunteer is to simply be a support. I'm not a licensed professional. I'm not an LCSW. I'm not a psychologist. I am a peer support um, facilitator, you could say. And so I've gone through training in order to be able to facilitate the best way I can without a license. And then, of course, if any major issues pop up, I um, understand the path to walk each of those people and where to refer them for professional help. But these support groups uh, are meant to be an additional, like you said, Bill, an additional resource for those who are walking through the dark night. Uh, as it's commonly referred to in, in with a Mormon faith crisis, uh, that dark night is when you lose all the ground below you. You have lost that foundational um, path that you had your whole life. All of those, all of that security about who you are and and your identity and your family structure, 
it can all go away. Um, and simply because you decided to take, uh, to take a careful look and, and walk a new path. And this can be cataclysmic. And for, for most it is, there is at least a short period of, of cataclysmic um, damage Absolutely. and hopelessness, right? And so if you look for resources, having them readily available is such a lifeline for those people in those moments and can save lives literally. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see mental health that, that you can directly, you can draw a line to with, with the studies that come out. Um, a lot of great research done by the Pew Research. Um, and, and we can see that there are you know, direct lines of mental health. And when people walk through that dark night for too long without the resources, then, then it can be, can be, um, it can be tragic. So, uh, yeah, go ahead, Dr. Ray. Well, we, we see, uh, the support groups, especially as a bridge between, the former religion community and some new community. So for example, Shane, you live in Cache Valley. There's a Cache Valley oasis mm-hmm. in, in Cache Valley. There's a Salt Lake City oasis and, or, you know, in Nashville, Tennessee, there's a, there's a Sunday assembly or there's a humanist group in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. We help people find the new communities that they're really looking for that yeah. will, will help replace the community they lost and maybe replace the family they lost too, because a lot of religions blow you completely out. You, you have no relationship. People won't even talk to you anymore. Jehovah's Witnesses are among the worst and Mormons are probably the second worst in that area, at least within the United States. Yeah. I'm curious, uh, Shane, is, is the, you guys have your group kind of up and rolling on meetup? Yeah. yeah so that's, that's the, you know, if you go to meetup.com, you can download the app, the meetup app itself, or you can go to meetup.com, whichever, you prefer if you want to do it on your phone or if you want to do it on your, your desktop. And then once you've signed in, uh, you can just look up, if you just start to do a search for groups uh, and re- you search recovering from religion, you'll, if you're in the Salt Lake City area, it's going to pop up as a top result because it's, it does a ge- has a geographical algorithm in there and it's finding things near you if you've given them any of your personal information, that is. Um, but if you just search for recovering from religion, Salt Lake City, you'll, you'll see the meetup group and then you can just join. Um, we, I, we opened up that, uh, meetup group about two weeks ago. We have, as of last night, I saw 29 members on there. We have yet to do our first, uh, scheduled group. I'm finishing up with the tail end of my training. And so if someone's interested in knowing when that first meeting will happen, just go to meetup.com search for recovering from religion, Salt Lake city, and join that group. And I will definitely make the announcement as soon as we have a final date and I'll post the the link there. It works just like you would expect. You're going to get a, a notification that a new meetup has been scheduled if you're a member of that group and you're receiving notifications from your app. And then you'll know. But I, I, I foresee that meeting being scheduled sometime in the next two weeks. And it's not just available while we're, while we're virtual. Like mm-hmm. we said earlier, <laughs> we had a, I don't know if you know the Sheen, but we had the, the, the Sydney, Australia meeting uh, last week or two weeks ago. It's been a while. And they had people from Japan, from Malaysia, from all over Australia, New Zealand, and California, all on the same, same Zoom meeting. Yeah, well, and, and that's actually one really, that could be a really helpful thing in connecting any religion, right? But for some, it may be helpful to say, hey, what's, what are things like there in Salt Lake City if you're an ex-Mormon outside of Salt Lake City? Mm-hmm. And vice versa. What are things like in Kentucky as an ex-Mormon? And so, sure, I see some great advantages to taking this thing virtual. I see, I see the pros and cons of, of both approaches. And so, 
Yeah. I kind of hope that once COVID does wind down, it becomes less of an issue. We continue with both practices. But I think we will. This has really opened our eyes to what we what's possible. We, I don't think we had any clue that this could could work. So, yeah, and yeah. I'll tell you, I'm, I was originally from Ohio, and that's where I was for the first you know thirty uh, seven years, thirty five years of my of my life. And being a Latter Day Saint there, being a Mormon there. As I was beginning to walk away from Mormonism, I wouldn't have had anybody to, to hang around. I didn't know of anybody in my local congregation or in the wider, what they call stake boundaries, uh, where there's multiple congregations that kind of are connected to each other. I didn't know anyone who was wrestling with this stuff who could sit down with me and go, hey, you know, I know these guys aren't going to tell you this, but here's some of the things I'm thinking about and, and, and worried about and hurting over. Um, so to have this access to a virtual meeting to me seems like a, an excellent idea, as you guys said, even after COVID is kind of done and over. Um, to the both of you, and, and either one of you can jump in and answer this, but what do these meetings look like? I, I can obviously hear that you guys give people a chance to talk and to tell their story. And I've said, um, you know, Shane, I don't know how long you've listened to the things that I've done, but I've always said that the one thing that religion tends to do when somebody stops fitting the mold is it deprives you of the right to tell your story. Yeah. And, and to me, that is so crucial to a healthy human being is the ability to stand on your own ground and go, here's my experience, take it or leave it, but it's mine and I claim it. Don't tell my story for me for sure. Um, my question for you guys in terms of um, what these meetings look like and the chances that people have to talk. Um, yeah, Dr. Ray, do you mind if I Oh, if I yeah, add? go for it. So we basically start the meeting. It's going to look and feel a lot like um, an AA meeting uh, in some sense, right? We're, we're going to see who's on the call as we start. I'm going to do a brief introduction of myself and then I'm going to say, okay, who would like to go first or, or depending on the attendees and, and if I start to become familiar with them, I may ask some to go uh, first or, or not, but, but uh, everyone gets an opportunity. If it's a huge size group, then, then maybe we take a, a different approach in quick introductions. But um, you know, if it's five or six or so, we'll just basically open the time up to each person. If, they were, if they're comfortable sharing, some may just want to sit and listen. Uh, and then we give every, so we'll give everybody that chance to introduce and share a story. And usually there's follow-up questions to each of those stories. Um, and the main goal is create, a, create and protect a safe space for you to tell your story. Some people just plain don't have that, like you mentioned, Bill. Last week I was on a call where a, a woman was sharing her story and she broke into tears because she said, I have had this on my mind for weeks now. And I've looked for someone to talk to, and there's not a single person I feel safe to talk to around me in, in my, and especially I think COVID has made that pinch even harder, right? And so it just meant so much to me to be there, and I think for everybody else as well, to see how helpful it was for her to unpack that story and tell someone, and suddenly these strangers just weren't strangers anymore. Yeah. yeah Curious, yeah. Shane, what happened? How did the group respond to her, and what was the flavor of the group after that? That's Oh, I mean, it was fantastic. Everyone just sort of said you, they, they, they validated her story in, in lots of different ways, right? She was validated by, by being told she was brave. She was validated in, in people saying, I'm sorry that you're in that experience. She was validated because people said, you can reach out to me and talk to me if you need to. Uh, and she was given more resources. And I feel like, I feel like someone who was, was potentially falling was grabbed or held in, in, and supported in some way. Yeah, Where, so good. How often in life, and, and I mean this almost literally, do you have the opportunity to be in a neutral place where you will not be judged? Nobody's going to say you're right or wrong, or you should do it my way, or you're doing it the wrong way. You'll never hear that in an RFR meeting. 
our agents are there to make sure that doesn't happen. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And, That's and you know, te- tears are not uncommon. What Shane just said, that is not uncommon. It doesn't happen every meeting by a long shot, but it happens often enough that that's how much pressure there is, how much stress people are experiencing that in a bunch of strangers, they break down in tears because this is the first time they've ever been able to trust that they will not be judged or evaluated by somebody. That's just it. I mean, anytime you're leaving a high demand fundamentalist religion specifically, and I think religion generally, you there are so many mechanisms in place that are meant to separate you from the community so that you don't have a way to tell your story. And Everything you say and do is only permitted if it's framed a certain way that allows the community to still hold on to what it is, right? Like, so in other words, in Mormonism, for instance, it's one thing to say, hey, I have questions. But the moment you say I have doubts or disbelief, those words have a very negative connotation to them. And so there are mechanisms in place. And again, all of us are doing this innocently. When you're on the inside and you're believing, you're just trying to navigate your own religious faith and you've been taught how to interact and you don't realize how unhealthy some of these paradigms are. But but you're but you're equipped only to reinforce your beliefs and your faith. And so everything you say to somebody who has serious doubts or is uh, losing faith or has lost faith is to marginalize them and separate them as an outsider. Now there's them and there's us Mm -hmm. and they're no longer fully in the community and everybody perceives that. And so there's a great amount of shame on an individual to be honest. I remember being a non-believer in my head, but in the meetings, I would still say, oh, I have doubts, you know? And because I couldn't say I've lost belief in that thing, I would mm-hmm. now be even further on the outside of this of this tribe. And which also hits on this thing you guys are providing, which is community. It's the one thing that religion offers in unhealthy ways, granted, but it offers very easily as you can immediately walk into a room and these people are willing to be your friends and family. And so to take people who are walking away and provide them other human beings who are on a similar journey and give them a chance to have this new community rather than be alone, I think is just monumental to the healthiness of that separation. Yeah. There's another component that religions do, and you almost described it perfectly just now, uh, Bill. People, people are taught certain social skills within the context of that religion. But when you leave that religion, and this doesn't matter what religion, you do not have the social skills to survive in the secular world. And so a lot of people are shocked by what they don't know about the world and about how people interact. Our meetings, Recovering from Religion, are a way for people to start reacclimating themselves to a new reality, a, a real reality rather than the fantasy reality that you know, a Mormon church provides or a Catholic church or a Hindu culture does. It's, um, it really is a huge step. And we're, the, we're a stair step between those two gigantic, that gigantic gap between them. We try to be the step in between. You know, Dr. Ray, what you mentioned is, was true for me. Um, socially, I've always been just fine and I can always make friends of all different walks of life. And so uh, where that, that was less of a, of a scare for me walking away from my religion, what I wasn't expecting was not having the language with which to express my new emotions, views, thoughts. I didn't even have the language because the language isn't used in all of those meetings every Sunday. You're only really given a certain language that really only directs your thoughts in this one direction over here. So I, I, you asked earlier, Bill, uh, how long I've listened to you. I've listened to you long enough to, <laughs> to say that you are someone who has given me the language and the words and, and the things to say with which um, make it easy to, to express my new place in the world and my, and my new worldview. So Love it. I, I, if I can be in any way 
that for other people and sometimes just being able to play with the new words and, and sharing their story in new ways in a safe environment, which is what the goal of, of this, um, of the support groups is, uh, then I'll be happy with, with my efforts. Yeah. And I, I just want to note here. So I'm actually on the website meetup.com and then it looks like it's RFR, uh, salt lake city ut. Um, I think we're hitting on an important thing. And again, I'm glad you guys kind of COVID did force us to come up with new ways to do things. Most of the listenership is certainly going to be Utah, Idaho, Arizona, those kinds of places out here in the, in the, in the Midwest uh, or the West. I'm sorry, but I'm from the Midwest. Sorry. So, but, I would encourage people, like if you're back in Ohio from where I'm from, or you're in Michigan, or you're in Texas, and you're you're a Mormon who's stepping away from your faith, and you're trying to build a community, that, community that's outside of the tribe, I think this is a great place. Join the Salt Lake City group, because at least for the time being, and hopefully going forward, you can be part of these virtual meetups where, again, I know you're not catering to the, the Mormon uh, faith, but in Utah, certainly whatever, 75%, 90%, something like that, that high number is going to be uh, ex-Mormons. And so you can be around folks who have been on this similar journey and kind of be surrounded by folks who can be supportive um, and understand that journey precisely, what it means to, to deconstruct that and to kind of step away and to try to form a new life. So I think this is a great opportunity. I see you've got 29 folks that have joined that already. Um, I know you, you didn't start this too long ago. Um, and so it'll be kind of exciting yeah. to see these numbers grow. If you do join, if you do join Shane's group, uh, Shane can, can give you an invite or get you an invite for you to join our virtual group inside of RFR, where you can talk every day. You can talk to ex-Mormons about issues and you can be very specific about it. And yeah, while we're talking about finding the group itself, I think right now, Bill, it's a little hard to find if you go straight to meetup.com only because I don't have a meeting scheduled yet. So I think what the search uh, algorithm tool is doing is it's looking for meetings that exist rather than the groups. So I think if you sign in, you, I think you can then do a group search. Uh, but but the, UR, the URL is there, um, w- which is what you shared. So maybe you can share that in the podcast um, links below. Or- yeah, I plan to do that. I'll, I'll share this uh, seculartherapy.org. I'll share the link to the meetup.com. Uh, backslash RFR. Again, I can go through the whole thing, but I'll just share the link there so people can get to it. Any other resources, um, uh, you know, Dr. Ray, yeah. I'll, I'll certainly put your God virus book, a link to that on there so people can check out the book. Um, there's, I've got, there's, oh, there's two other things that Recover from Religion does. And one of them is every Monday night, we have something we call RFRX. And that is, it's like a, it's like an extended TED talk on a subject that almost everybody is interested in everything from religious trauma to, uh, uh, what it's like being an ex-Baptist or an ex-Mormon. We've had all those. Mm-hmm. So uh, you, anybody can join us. It's a virtual meeting. About 100 people show up almost every every Monday. And, and the, the second R- thing is every R- Tuesday and Saturday, we have a virtual hangout just for people inside of our, our uh, RFR community. So here's the deal. Like I said, we have 50 groups, 55 groups. Somebody is meeting somewhere every day. And you could probably sign on somewhere almost every day and find a group that you could join virtually. That's how beautiful this technology is these days. So if you can't, if you can't make the one that Shane's doing, make the one that Sydney, Australia is doing <laughs> or, or the United Kingdom. I don't care. We don't care. Yeah. And I'll include the link to recovering from religion site as well. It sounds like you guys have a lot of great resources there for people to check out. Um, I've got about 10 minutes left. And so I, I want to use that wisely. You mentioned sex and religion. You talked about your second book, which hits on that topic directly. Uh, I, I want to give you a second to talk about what that connection is, because 
I think when you're in a in a religion, you have all of these taboos around how you're to live your life. And in Mormonism, for instance, right, we have to stay away from things as innocent as coffee and tea. We're told what kind of underwear to wear. We're told what decibel to laugh at. Um, there's a lot of control mechanisms. And as people begin to deconstruct their faith and begin to step away from that religion, they're now having to figure out, like, how does the world live morality? And there's a lot of shame felt as the topic becomes more uh, emotionally connected or more taboo or more full of shame out in the secular world even. And sex is obviously the big one. Um, Dr. Ray, maybe talk for just a second, because I think, I think the average Mormon is going like, look, I'm going to start drinking coffee, but I still don't want to talk about sexuality. That's still too far out there. And it's just, it's too disruptive. And anybody else who comes along and says, Hey, let's have a healthy conversation about sex and, and morality and, and what about the arbitrary constructs that your religious faith set up and how to now navigate those outside of it. People tend to stay away from these conversations. Um, what are the kind of things you'd, you'd want to kind of mention to help people go like, oh, like this is a serious topic and it, it deserves some fair time being discussed. Well, I will just say that I don't think you can deconstruct without dealing with your own sexuality. I almost think it's impossible. Uh, don't ever say anything is totally anything, but I, I want to introduce you uh, and your listeners to a concept called bounded choice. Mormon, every religion is, uh, creates what, I, what we call bounded choice. Out of the hundred, let's say on a zero to a hundred scale or, or universe uh, of human sexuality, Mormonism says you can only go up to a 10. So you are bounded right there. The, the things that are allowed to you as a Mormon, and, and, the, and the interesting thing is, if you look at it from a Muslim perspective, it's 10 in the Muslim perspective, but it's a different 10. Then look at it from a Catholic perspective. It's a bounded choice of 10 again but it's a different 10 yet. And if you look at early Mormonism, their 10 was quite different than it is now. <laughs> I mean, just, I know enough about Mormonism to know that Brigham Young had 50 some wives and I'm from Kansas City. So Joseph Smith is a popular guy around here with 38 wives. And his son is the, you know, the leader of, of the church here that split yeah. away from all yeah. Anyway, I, I don't think you can get away from it. And that's why I wrote, I wrote this book, Sex and God. What I did was I, I looked at culture. I, my undergraduate degree was in sociology and anthropology. And I early on recognized that sexuality in the South Pacific is very different than sexuality in Thailand and very different than sexuality in the, in the 1200s in Germany. Why are there so many different sexualities? And I do call them sexualities. And then it, 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 if you look at it closely, you'll realize there is a Catholic sexuality and there's a Mormon sexuality and a Baptist. Every one of those sexualities bound, binds you. But what if we didn't have all this religious indoctrination? What would sexuality look like then? And I looked at cultures like in the South Pacific or the Moso in China or the Na in Africa. And I realized, and you can realize by looking at these other cultures, their sexuality is a lot less bounded. Maybe the Na culture, the sexuality is 70, not 10, but 70. 70% 70 of human sexuality is permitted within this culture. So once you leave sex... Once you leave Mormonism, you're going to have to face a hell of a lot of things about yourself. But just important, what if your kid is gay? What if your next door neighbor is trans? What, you know, what if your wife wants to play or your husband wants to experiment with some kink? What if you just want to masturbate and enjoy it? You know, that's... Those, those are, are all off limits in Mormonism, right? Those yeah, they are. And yet, and yet the people who are standing up there telling you you can't do it 
They themselves do it. And we know this. The research shows over and over again. And the more interesting thing is the more religious you are, the more guilt and shame you feel about your sexuality and the more psychological problems it creates. Uh, I can go on and on and on. Go look at my, you might want to look at my video I did a few years ago. It's very quite popular called the myth of the myth of sex addiction. Just that one thing. Mormons are really big into the notion of sex addiction. And yet it is a non-existent diagnosis. It does not appear in any psychological literature. It's a made up thing. It's a religious concept. I could talk for hours. <laughs> we could do a whole nother episode just on the notion of sex addiction or radically accepting yourself as a sexual human being. All those things are big, giant topics. So we're not going to go much farther than what we can here today. But thanks for asking, Bill. I love it. I love it. Um, here in Southern Utah, as I have exited Mormonism and begun to have what I consider very authentic, vulnerable conversations with the community around me, um, everybody wants to talk about the taboo things from their previous system. And everybody wants to have a safe space to explore who they are at their core and how the differences of who they are versus the differences of the folks around them. And to be able to feel safe going like, hey, I just want to be me. And being you in some way, shape or form, and sexuality is the thing that I think has the most, most emotional and, and shame attached to it. Um, people are just trying to find some way to go like, hey, I just, I don't want to fit in anymore. I just want to show up as I am and I want to be acceptable to the people around me. And, and that alone is such a huge help to folks who are trying to navigate all of this. So I'm going to share a ton of resources, folks who, who are listening, share a ton of resources on the episode links to this. Uh, we'll share to Daryl Ray's books, The God Virus uh, and Sex and God. Um, Shane, we'll put up the links to uh, your meetup group. And then for the both of you, we'll share the Recovering uh, from Religion website and some of the sources that you guys have there. This has really been a ton of fun. And my, my main goal is that folks don't feel alone and don't feel isolated and don't feel continued shame from that past community, regardless of the religion that they've walked away from as they're trying to make out a new life and figure out their identity. Um, to the two of you, thank you so much for your time. This has been a great conversation. Um, Shane, I'm hoping at some point maybe I can catch up with you and we can just have you tell your story so that people can get to know you a little better because I think this post-Mormon audience is really going to relate uh, to, to your journey and uh, be able to make some connections there that might help out uh, your group here in Salt Lake City as well. And folks, if anybody's listening and wants to get involved, we certainly could use a group like that down here in Southern Utah too. So um, I'll leave it to somebody else to do that. I've got enough on my plate, um, but appreciate both of you and your time today. And thanks so much. Uh, any closing comments from either one of you? Uh, any last things you guys want to plug or, or um, have be part of the conversation? No, just thanks so much for having us on. We're always looking for ways to get the word out. Yeah, thanks a lot, Bill. I, I really appreciate it. And uh, I would, you know, just an open invite to anybody all over the world, wherever you are now that it's virtual, to uh, watch uh, RFR Salt Lake City and, and watch for that first meeting that will be coming soon. Perfect. Love it, you too. Have a great day. Listeners, check out uh, the podcast and the notes there and see you guys next time. Taking out my issues never healed before.